Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From WBZ News Radio in Boston, this is New England Weekend. Each week we come together to talk about all the topics important to you and the place where you live. Thanks again for joining me this week. I'm Nicole Davis, and this week's episode is part two of a series I'm calling Trash Talk. It's a two-part series on recycling and sustainability. So we're talking about how effective the recycling system is as a whole, how responsible you, the resident, are for its success, and how we can try to live a little bit more sustainably without breaking the bank. So today on the show, Brian Coughlin is the superintendent of waste reduction at the Boston Public Works Department. City is launching a brand new program to help you get rid of some textiles, and we'll also talk about the best methods for recycling and efforts the city has on tap to move Boston more toward a zero-waste city. After that, we'll talk all things pajamas. Kids pajamas. Aubrey Conkergood from Cradles to Crayons comes back to the show. She's joined by Erin Rafferty of the Wonder Fund, and together they have all the details on this year's Bruins PJ Drive to help kids in need. So last week here on the show for part one of the Trash Talk series, we talked with Jeremy Gregory over at MIT. We took a deeper dive into the act of recycling as a whole and how effective it really is these days. Honestly, had a really informative conversation. I learned a lot. And if you didn't hear it, you want to catch up with it. Maybe you want to listen again. It is on the podcast right now. So you can head to our website, WBZNewsRadio.com, or find it on your favorite streaming service like the iHeartRadio app. So this week... For part two of the series, I want to take a look at recycling on a more local level. I figured, well, might as well consider what's happening in the city of Boston, considering it's right here with about 700,000 people. You can imagine there's a lot of recycling going on. I also noticed, though, that the hub's been reaching out in different ways to try to help you cut down on waste, reduce, and think of creative ways to get rid of stuff you just don't need anymore. Enter Brian Coughlin. He is the superintendent of waste reduction over at Public Works. Essentially, he is Boston's go-to guy for zero waste and recycling. So Brian is with us now on the show. Uh, Brian, it's great to have you here. Brian, I did read somewhere recently that something like 85% of our clothing ends up in the trash eventually, which is kind of stunning to me, frankly, but I guess it makes sense. You know, people grow out of things, they stain, so on and so forth. But that is a lot of clothing in our trash. It absolutely is. Um, And that was one of the things that, you know, was brought to our attention a few years back. And, um, you know, seeing that the city's throwing out, you know, it's continuously growing and there's a lot of trash in the city and that's also continuing to grow. Um, we, We found it would be a great idea to um, start implementing programs across the city to try to reduce some of that textile waste that w- that's getting disposed of. Yeah, when it comes to our clothing and rags and towels and all this other stuff in the city of Boston, uh, these textiles, do we know how much of our trash is actually made up of items like that? So essentially, um, we're looking at about 14,000 tons a year oh, wow. um, on average, just residential trash too. And, and the commercial sector in the city is a much larger number. I'm not sure on, you know, I mean, obviously with hotels and schools and um, things like that, there's probably a lot, but we focus on the residential trash here at Public Works. So for us alone, 14,000 tons 
of material each year is disposed of that's said to be textile waste. That's uh, quite a bit. And honestly, you know, if we can find a way to get this out of the trash, it's probably ideal. So you've got this program in place. It's textile recycling. When did the city decide, okay, it's time to find a way to separate this stuff and, and get it out of our trash and reuse it as best we can? Yeah, so um, it's it's actually uh, another COVID-related story that, you know, we, we started thinking about this in 2019 and uh, we worked with the vendor. We put it on RFP. Um, we made a, a decision to, to bring in Helpsy. Um, and then the winter of 19 into 20 came and all of our plans kind of got shelved for a little bit. Um, it wasn't until the spring, early summer that we decided that we were going to go forward with it come the fall of 2020, which was when we implemented the first bin program in um, the city mm-hmm. in October. And um, it was an instance of sex, really, um, when you think about you know, going from nothing. And then all of a sudden, we, you know, we have reports coming back of, you know, 10, 20, 30 tons of clothing, you know, per month. And then the, the sites started to grow. Um, we got a lot of requests too. We were working with other agencies in the city, trying to develop, you know, just a, a very easy program for residents to have access to uh, 24-7. So, um, you know, it was, it was, it was something that, really started off um, extremely well, and it's still continuing to do well at this time, too. You brought up a really good point, the 24-7 thing, because Bostonians don't all work 9 to 5, and they're not always able to get to, you know, a storefront that would be open 8 to 4 or 9 to 5 or 10 to 6 or whatever like that. So those boxes have got to really be critical for you to help get this going. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it, it, and there's, there's, there's so many of them now, I believe, we're, we're uh, over 60 bins across the city you know a lot of them are in places where you know a lot of people are driving by them all the time and we have some really great graphics um that we've had done to put on them and kind of gives people in uh you know the the do's and don'ts and what's acceptable and all that so you know it's, it's pretty much something that pops out when you're driving by and um you know having them in highly visible spaces and you know a lot of foot traffic a lot of uh a lot of commuter traffic going by them um it's certainly you know, it's very helpful. And it also shows the people coming through the city that was serious about zero waste in the city. And, you know, we're working on new programs to really help to uh, educate everybody on what they can do, just the little things, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll touch on those in just a couple minutes. But I was curious about the process. So, like, walk us through the process of what happens. Say uh, somebody brings a sweater and a towel, throws it in the bin. What happens next when the city comes to get the items out of those boxes and they're recycled? Yep. So um, we're actually, um, we work with a vendor called Helpsy. Um, and what they do is they basically have a collection route and they have us, each bin is on a schedule. Um, and we've been having really good feedback from people about, you know, the bins not being overloaded and they've been pretty clean for the most part. Um, you know, once they got used to where the, the bins were, they got their route set up. They've been very proactive on servicing them multiple times per week. Um, so they go by with basically a box truck um, and they'll empty the bins by hand and they'll, you know, they'll lock them back up afterwards, but they basically just bundle everything um, and they take it back to their warehouse where it can be sorted and bailed. Um, and that's pretty much the process on the street. You know, we don't get too far into the, the processing at, from the city side. It's more of a private business mm-hmm. that's doing that. Um, but on our end, you know, collection, keeping things clean, keeping the bins free of debris. 
Um, you know, not becoming a nuisance to the public is a huge priority for us just to make sure that residents are using the business and they're in good working order and they, they look right and it's not really um, making a mess in the neighborhood as you, some of the bins from other places throughout the city and state, you might see, you know, less of an effort to help keep it clean. There's a lot of eyesores out there from other bins that we've seen, different colors. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's nice that we can have a program and keep monitoring it and have our inspectors checking on things too, to make sure that they're not over full and, you know, that the, the residents are not having a, having a deal with a nuisance or, you know, just aggravation of having a, a filthy been laying in the neighborhood. Yeah, we've all seen those at rest stops and so on and so forth. And they're mm. always overflowing and there's animals living in it. And yeah, and, and that's important to make sure that the neighborhood stays clean because you want people to want to approach these bins and you want them to take part in this. Uh, curious, though, when Helpsy gets all the stuff in the boxes, do we know what they do with it after that? So everything that can be resold is. Um, and I would be willing to say that there's a a large portion of that material that can be reused or sold to another market. Uh, the textile market, similar to the recycling market, you know, like it's almost as if it's a commodity, you know, there's a value on certain things. And, yeah. um, you know, what I've learned is in being in the East Coast, apparently the, you know, the style of the, the clothing that the people have in the East Coast, like the Northeast varies from, you know, people down South or out West or, you know, Midwest. So the value of the clothing actually has more, um, the clothing itself has more value, I believe, due to the, like, the brands and stuff that people are buying around here versus, you know, out in the middle of nowhere, um, which is kind of interesting when you think about it. But there's, there's mm. certainly, um, you know, there's another market for them to sell it. And obviously not everything's be can be worn again. So it's like, you know, we, we've been learning that, you know, a lot of the materials are still used for items like rags or, um, you know, like furniture stuffing, stuff like that. It can get shredded and turned into uh, carpet padding. It can be turned into, um, you know, stuffing for like couches and mattresses and stuff like that. So, you know, the materials, although they can't be worn again and it can't be sold at a thrift shop or it can't be sold in another market, um, you know, it's nice to know that a majority of the clothing that's collected is still repurposed in some way. With all these styles that come and go, right, people just toss the clothes. They don't think twice about it. And I'm sure that we're seeing more and more of this cheap clothing just getting thrown in the trash. And it's it's really important that we try to find a way to divert all this as much as possible. Yeah. And, and I would also mention that I don't think it's just the cheap clothing. I think people are just geared to buying the next new thing. And I think that's the way that society has really branded all of the products and like you know, just the way that things are marketed these days, it's just, you know, everybody wants the new thing. And, you know, if, if somebody else has a new t-shirt and it's pretty cool or something like everybody wants that and they'll stop wearing their old stuff, you know, it's, um, it just seems to be a trend among society. And it's, you know, it's, um, it's not necessarily the cheap clothes, it's all clothes. And um, I think if we can, you know, bring to the surface the fact that, you know, your old t-shirt can be somebody else's new t-shirt, or, you know, other people are less fortunate than we are. Um, you know, people are actually in need of these things that we might be just toss them aside as if they're nothing. Right. You know, it's time for a new shirt. But there's a lot of people out there that have, don't have a thing on them um, that could really benefit from this program. Yeah. I mean, people are unhoused in Boston. You've got people in domestic violence shelters. You've got people in homeless shelters. I mean, people 
absolutely could use this clothing. And that's important to keep in mind as we try to be a bit more mindful and sustainable with our clothing choices. Absolutely. So let's talk about recycling overall in the city of Boston, because I think it's important to give people a reminder about what you can and can't recycle. I think that sometimes we just throw whatever in the blue bin and we're like, ah, the city will sort it out. But that doesn't do you guys any favors on the other end. No, it doesn't. Uh, they call that wish cycling when you throw everything in, you know, wish that it's recycling or you think that <laughs> it's recycling, but you really don't know. And, you know, basically um, we're experiencing a tough time with contamination in the city, as well as, you know, multiple municipalities in the state. It's a, it's a common occurrence with, you know, the way things are packaged these days, the consumers are, are left to think that everything is recyclable. You know, you have a, there's a triangle on it. So you might think that, oh, it must be recyclable, right? which, which is the case in some way, but not necessarily with the curbside program. Um, you know, styrofoam, for example, has a triangle imprinted on it, most of it. Um, and it has, a, a, you know, it's polystyrene and it actually contaminates the rest of the recycled material that gets crushed and, and bailed at our facility that we have, we're contracted with Casella over in Charlestown. And, uh, you know, the styrofoam gets caught up in all the glass and it just makes a mess and it turns that material into, you know, contaminated stuff that they can't sell. Mm. So it's, a, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's putting a, kind of a, a damper on the ability to sell the material up for the true value when it's, when it's contaminated with styrofoam and uh, plastic bags, for instance, of film plastics, right. saran wraps and chip bags and stuff like that. Um, so all that stuff really shouldn't be going into the bin. Now, when it comes to those triangles, this is a really good point because you've got different numbers in the middle of the triangles. And does the city take all of those numbers? Are there certain numbers that you can't throw in there? And it, I think that can be a little confusing for people because we were always taught when we were younger, at least I as an older millennial was taught, oh, if it says recycle, just recycle it. But it's a little more nuanced than that. Yeah. So essentially, the, the there's three main numbers that we can always take. And again, it, it, it does... It's something that really stems on how can it be recycled? Can the facility where it's going process it? And um, the three biggest, or the three numbers that I should say are the most relevant to the curbside program is the number one plastics, which you'll see like, um, you know, food jars, jellies, um, plastic containers, peanut butter containers, um, water bottles, single use water bottles, soft drinks, stuff like that. Um, that's the, uh, the PET, that's the good stuff. That's probably the most valuable stuff when okay. it's clean. Um, and then when you get into, um, the number two plastics, you're looking at like other types of plastic bottles, like shampoo bottles, detergent stuff. It's a little heavier, a little more dense. And, uh, and then there's the, um, the number four stuff, which are actually number four and five. So there's probably four total. So you get the like the um, bottle caps, stuff like that, ketchup bottles. Um, they're basically the hotter type of plastics. Just not, you know, nothing with a three or a six or a seven. We should be taking at the at the curb, okay. especially the six with the you know the styrofoam trays, um, CD jewel cases, stuff like that. It's not good because it just gets cracked and crushed into everything, and it's not really, you know, it's not. It's more of a blended material to begin with, so you mm. can't really sort out any type of virgin material from that. 
Interesting. And and on the city of Boston's website, I'm sure you've got, and I know I've got the app on my phone, but um, you can take a look and, you know, what is it? You can just type in whatever material you're trying to recycle and it'll tell you, yes, you can recycle this or no, that goes in with the trash. That's a really helpful yeah. resource. Yeah, we have our waste wizard on, on, the, um, on the website on boston.gov slash trash and recycling. And um, it's actually on the homepage. You can click on trash and then you know, but as you just mentioned on the, the trash app, we're in the middle of upgrading that to be a little more uh, up to date as far as graphics and stuff. And we're ad constantly adding information and we just um, finalized our 2022 yard waste calendar. So we'll have all our event dates on there and schedules and yard waste um, drop-offs, curbside pickups, uh, hazardous waste days, stuff like that. So the app's going to be pretty much going through a... Uh, you know, revamp in the next couple of weeks. Um, but again, the, the waste materials, the wizard is is something that people can rely on. Um, mm -hmm. And we're constantly looking for new things to change to and try to add, you know, certain materials, to try to like textiles, for instance, now we can add more, uh, we can add bins to that. We're going to be starting a uh, curbside textile program on really? call. Okay. Yeah, so, so it'll be on the weekends and people basically will go out on the website. You can probably, we're going to link it to the app as well. Um, and you'll be able to sign up for an appointment to get your textiles collected um, free of charge. And it'll basically, you know, for the people that don't have access to a car or can't take it to the bin, we have a large elderly population. We have, you know, people with disabilities that we want to make sure can participate. Um, so we're increasing the services and expanding it to, you know, weekend curbside It'll be helpful. It'll be less traffic on the street. A vendor will be able to get around um, and we're hoping to, you know, we're going to pilot it off at probably about 30 or 40 people per um, for a Saturday and then another 30 or 40 for a Sunday. Uh, mm -hmm. Hopefully, the, you know, ideally it'll double or triple and their capacity will grow as well once we see what the demand is. Um, so it's going to be pretty exciting to see how those numbers go up and, the, you know, the demand for people to get involved without having to physically leave their home. Um, I think that's going to be helpful to help you know, grow the amount of stuff that we're keeping out of the trash. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of people are still dealing with COVID. You've got immunocompromised people. You've got, as you mentioned, seniors, people who are disabled. I mean, it's all about equity and making sure everybody can take part in this. And that's a really cool program. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, we're really excited to launch it. You talked about selling the material, right? All the recycling material. Once it goes to Casella, it gets all sorted out and they, they try to sell it. But I was doing some reading, and over the past few years, obviously, China's not taking as much of our material as they used to, and other countries are just not really taking our recyclables anymore. So what sort of impact has that had on the city of Boston trying to keep the recycling program going and us trying to sell those materials? Yeah, so again, with the vendors, they're the ones that really, um, you know, they have the the bandwidth to really be selling the material. The city doesn't get involved too much with the actual markets, which is something that we should be looking into or at least having a part in that conversation. Um, you know, the big thing is you, you said it, you know, um, we have to send a lot of the material overseas. Um, you know, the, the, the easiest thing in my head would be, you know, let's get some domestic stuff going, you know, let's, Let's get something local. Let's find people that need these materials locally. Yeah. Let's be able to keep everything in-house, uh, at least close by, um, you know, just to help lower those costs from shipping everything overseas, you know. And, and if they're not going to take certain materials due to the con contamination, 
um, it's, um, you know, even more of a reason why we should keep it closer and get it cleaner, you know? Um, so, but it, it's, it's had its impacts financially also on this, on the city and everybody pretty much in the state. And, you know, it's a national problem. Um, so, you know, our contracts and our, our, uh, you know, with lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved. We are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Our budget certainly has, has put more towards recycling processing over the last couple of years compared to, you know, 2017, 2018, when we were pretty much, you know, getting some money back as part of like a rebate mm -hmm. when the when the material is worth a lot of money the city makes money and that's typical for many municipalities in their contracts um and then when obviously when the market tanked back in 2018 in the fall going into 2019 um we, we saw a pretty big swing in the costs okay interesting all right well that's good to know we wanted to talk about zero waste. So I know that Boston has this zero waste initiative, and it's been in place for a few years at this point. Give us an idea of what you're working on these days. I know this is a pretty lofty goal um, that the city has in general. Talk to us about the initiative and where it's at right now. Yes. Yeah, so, um, so zero waste is, you know, and the, to the city of Boston, it's been around since you know, we, the plan launched a couple of years ago, and the terms are still um, relatively new to people. I think you know, one of the biggest things that we want to work on, and we just, you know, working on hiring some new people and getting some more educators in, in the room so we can, um, you know, really get out to all the neighborhoods. So I think the biggest thing that's going on is we're really going to be pushing out a big education campaign. Um, and one of the things that we're going to be doing to start will be um, really working in-house to get all this, the city agencies on board. You know, there's we want to be able to send the message to the residents that this is, you know, it's important for everybody to contribute to this program, to all the programs and to the plan. But at the same time, we want to know, we want to show people that we are serious too, you know, and we want to make sure that every, every department is participating in the zero waste program. Um, you know, and we're going to be trying to, you know, track things and, and see how people's, see what their, you know, their waste practices are see how they're recycling in the offices, stuff like that, how much trash they're distributing or generating. Um, you know, so it's gonna be more of a, a lead by example approach. Um, and then we're gonna get into the community meetings. We're gonna get into, you know, doing some events, special events. We're gonna be talking to people, sending out flyers and, and mailing stuff. And, um, you know, I'd like to do a lot more on, on the app as well. So it's a little less printed material. We can do some more digital marketing and advertising. Um, so it's more of, you know, the whole zero waste plan essentially is going to be a huge culture shift. Um, yeah. You know, getting people to think about their waste differently, getting people to, you know, when you're at the store, do you really need 20, 20 items? Or do you, could you go without a few? Uh, do you need the biggest box of this or that? You know, um, just thinking about things before you purchase them in terms of, you know, the packaging and is it recyclable? Is it not? Um, is it going to be wasted? You know what I mean? Um, 
do I need all that food or could I go without certain things? Right. Um, and, the, you know, that's just one of the strategies is, you know, it's food waste and composting and, you know, but it's more of, it's more of creating behavior changes, which, you know, from a public, public works perspective, you know, it's, it's usually all operations, but this is going to entail a lot of kind of psychological, uh, you know, advertising, outreach, and getting people to think, you know what I mean? Um, especially now, it's, I feel like with a lot of people have been out of work lately, and like sometimes, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic, everybody's trash was a lot more, was increasing and stuff. And, you know, I think uh, over time, things are kind of plateaued a bit, but, you know, the people just aren't, um, I don't think they're spending as much money as they, as they used to, you know, no, it's, no. so it's, um, you know, it's kind of interesting to watch things how, like play out in the street. You know, you, we come to your house every week and pick you up, but nobody else, you know, you don't really know what goes on the rest of the day for those guys. You know, they come by your house and that's it. Right. But, um, you know, these guys are out there all day going house to house. And um, there's certainly, a, uh, certainly a lot, a lot out there. Well, yeah, I think I'm just rambling on that. It's a thankless job because, I mean, I think that a lot of people get frustrated, you know, especially if you're on a one-way street. And frankly, I almost got caught behind the trash truck today. So, like, I get it. You know, people get frustrated, like, oh, get out of the way. But these people are out there, no matter the elements. I mean, they are just working their tushes off to make sure that our waste is taken care of. And, you know, in a city with, what, 700,000 people living in it, it's a lot to handle. It's a lot going on. It is. It is. And and when you think about, you know, the past weekend that we just had or, you know, the Friday with that, the Friday that we got all that snow a couple of weeks ago, those guys, they worked right through that. You know, there was certainly really dangerous conditions out there. Um, And then even after the storms, when they're dragging the barrels through the snow banks and, you know, um, know, it would be helpful if, you know, paths were shoveled out for barrels and, you know, ultimately they they don't leave anything behind for barrel you know they'll get to grab everything and but the you know it takes up a lot of time when they got to drag things around the car and over a snowbank and um mm. you know they're working in teams trying to you know lift things over over the snowbank whatever so it's you know it's um but yeah it's a thankless job and you know we're really fortunate that that we have them out there but you know at the same time if if you know this if this plan comes to fruition and you know, maybe there's there's ways to to uh, you know to update certain things and how it's done, and you know maybe it won't be as much waste. You know, there'll be certain there'll be some other new jobs created through different programs that we're going to have. You know, mm. um, if we have more food waste diversion, there's going to be a need for more food waste vendors. There's going to be some textile collection. There's going to be um, you know mattresses down the road. The state's banning mattresses in November, oh, so it's yeah, so it's going to be some. Um, there's going to be some changes, and um, you know, ultimately, some of the programs are not fully developed yet, but they're on the radar. And um, you know, I think little by little, all of these little initiatives that we have, you know, over the course of the next few years, they're gonna they're gonna make a huge difference in the amount of waste that we have. It's gonna spur a lot of economic development and uh, a lot of new job creation, a lot of green jobs. Um, something that's really great for the city. Um, I know that I know the new administration is very, very big into um, recycling the Green New Deal and, and all the um, you know potential that we have here in the city, especially like trying to be innovative and hopefully at some point try to think outside the box for some 
larger scale initiatives for, uh, you know, infrastructure and making sure that we have places to go for this stuff and resources around to dispose of things as we need them and, um, you know, just have a complete system in place. That too, and not just on the personal level, but for corporations and companies as well. I mean, it's going to take movement from everybody to really make this switch towards zero waste. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be a, a huge effort. Um, so it's it's going to take a lot on our end on the education piece. It's going to take, you know, on the on the resident side, it's going to take education to and the you know the knowledge of what to do with certain items. What am I going to do? How do I get rid of this? Um, but like you said, on the other end, it, on the commercial side of things, we're going to need um, some commercial businesses to be able to open up in the city or close to the city that can support these programs. You know, if if we have to rely on companies that are out of state or far away to, to uh, dispose of materials, you know, we're not going to save anything financially. We're probably going to add costs if we have to drive materials further and further away just to a site for disposal, you know, and. And the sad part is there's really not many places we can go right now for trash or recycling. And, um, you know, we're trying to work with the state on some, you know, some new infrastructure ideas and ways that we can assist, uh, ways that the city can possibly, um, you know, internalize some of this stuff. Um, you know, and the more, you know, the mattresses I brought up, for example, that the state has a, a solid waste master plan for 2030 that they just released and um you know they're going to ban mattresses from the curb um there's no plan in place at this moment for enforcement and stuff like that but there's you know there's limited facilities in the state of massachusetts where you can you know process mattresses so you know the the idea here would be you know if we're going to implement a plan and and a ban um for the resident that will have to call for pickup or even for us to handle them separately and not to put them in the truck that you got stuck behind today. Um, it's gonna take a facility, it's gonna take infrastructure, it's gonna take some investments from businesses or you know private public partnerships or what have you to actually have something in place centralized in the city where we don't have to pay to drive it you know, to Kingsborough or Lawrence or Rhode Island or something like that. So we want, you know, we want to make sure that whatever programs we put in place, ultimately there's a, there's somewhere we can take it, um, you know, locally that's going to save us on the collection costs. Otherwise, we're just going to be starting these programs, and you know, who knows how much things are going to cost compared to what they can cost today. Brian, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time with us. Learned a lot about zero waste today, and uh, thanks for all the efforts you're doing to try to get this in place around the hub. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Many families here in Massachusetts these days are trying to get by without some of the basics. And oftentimes, that includes proper PJs for kids. In some cases, kids who get sent into foster care as well find themselves without pajamas, really anything to sleep in but the clothes on their back. Well, several groups are trying to fix that now in the 15th Bruins PJ Drive. So on the show to talk about it, Aubrey Conkergood, the executive director of Cradles to Crowns, Aaron Rafferty, the CEO of the Wonder Fund. Ladies, it is so good to have you with us. Aubrey, let's start with you. Give us a rundown of the PJ Drive and what it's all about. Nicole, thank you so much for having me on. The PJ Drive actually started 15 years ago. So Cradles to Crayons is really excited that we are in our 15th year with the Bruins. Uh, It started back in 2007 by Boston Bruins forward PJ Axelson. 
And he and his wife that year collected 1,600 pajamas for the community. This year in our 15th year, we are we have a goal of hopefully gathering more than 5,000 pajamas uh, for the kids around Massachusetts. I think it's important to note that PJs, we talk about winter coats, we talk about you know scarves and hats and that sort of thing, but PJs are important to keep kids warm and safe too. Absolutely. Uh, the, the PJ drive that we do right now, and it's, you know, February, March this year, um, collecting PJs really help with our distribution of pajamas throughout the year. And we often give out pajama socks and underwear as a kit because those are all really basic essentials that kids need, um, you know, every single day. All right. So, Erin, let's talk about how Wonder Fund is involved with this. How do you help uh, get these PJs to these kids? Well, we are so appreciative at the Wonder Fund to be part of this partnership with Cradles to Crayons and the Board of Library Commissioners and the Boston Bruins because the Wonder Fund exclusively serves children involved with the Department of Children and Families. And currently there are 53,000 children in Massachusetts who are involved with DCF. And when they have to go you know, into foster care, which currently 10,000 kids in Massachusetts are in foster care, oftentimes they're coming with just the clothes on their backs. Mm. Um, or their, their, their belongings in a trash bag. And so we are committed to making sure that every single child who has to come into foster care has their own new pair of PJs, their own socks and underwear, a duffel bag to carry their belongings. And um, it's just part of our mission to bring these kids some comfort and dignity in an otherwise very traumatic situation. And we are endlessly grateful to Cradles to Crayons because they have been a huge source and provider to us of of great clothes for kids, new clothes, gently used clothes for kids in times of need. And the PJ drive is essential to making sure that we're able to deliver on our promise. And I feel that a lot of kids, we don't talk about this enough, how these kids in DCF custody really just need some normalcy, right? Because oftentimes they're ripped out of what they know is normal, their everyday lives. They're shuttled around from place to place to place. And you often do hear of these kids just having a trash bag to bring around what they can. So I really appreciate the fact that you're working hard, like you said, to give them dignity, to give them something to call their own. Absolutely. Normalcy is just, it's a, it's a, Uh, you know, it should be a right for children, right? Children should have the opportunity to be children and children should have the opportunity to have confidence, to feel cared for and loved and to be able to hold their head up high. And oftentimes the difference between a child feeling safe or a child having the confidence to go to school, um, the child having confidence to make friends is is new clothes or or something as simple as a stick of deodorant or a pair of socks that are, are clean. And so we are very dedicated to bringing, making sure that kids have that confidence, despite the fact that they're going through a pretty tumultuous time in, them, in their life. So then, Aubrey, let's talk about how people can donate. I'm seeing here on the website, you've got this great document, Five Steps to an Amazing PJ Drive. Uh, people don't just have to go to Cradles to Crayons and give you the PJs. They can really get more into this if they want to. Yes, there are several ways that people can get involved. Um, within your community, you can do a product drive for pajamas to donate to Cradles to Crayons, and ultimately will go to the Wonder Fund and benefit the kids of DCF. We have an Amazon wish list. It's super simple to go onto Amazon, order PJs that are delivered directly to Cradles to Crayons. And we also 
always encourage people to come in and volunteer. We've got the Bruins um, and the Wonder Fund that have both been to Cradles to Crayons volunteering and bringing us pajamas to the Giving Factory and helping us sort and get them back out into the community. That is great. And how long is the drive running for? This isn't just a week or two. This is going on for a little while, right? Correct. This is all of February and March. All right. So we encourage everyone to get involved and participate. And the beautiful thing that I love about Cradles to Crayons is that you're not just doing this, you know, part of the year. You are working all year long to make sure kids have everything they need and families have everything they need to to keep kids healthy and growing and safe. So talk to us about what's going on besides the PJ Drive over at Cradles to Crayons right now. We are just finishing up our winter coat drive. So we are still collecting winter coats. It's really cold out there right now and there is always a need in the community. So we are still in the winter months and then starting to prepare for spring and summer. So after the PJ drive, we will quickly be getting into um, getting kids ready for summer and summer clothing. So product donations are always a huge need. Another area that has really, picked up demand this year is for uh, diapers. So uh, collecting diapers, um, and we are always raising funds to be able to purchase new diapers for the families and communities that we serve is just another big essential item um, that we're working towards. And, you know, I did want to talk to you really quickly, and then Erin, I'll, I'll talk with you about Wonder Fund, but I have been seeing all the headlines lately about how formula is more expensive, baby food is more expensive, diapers is more, or diapers are more expensive. Uh, Talk to us about how that's affecting you over at Cradles to Crowns. It's affecting us very similarly, I think, to, you know, others um, in the community. So for the families that we serve, these items are getting much more expensive. We are seeing an increase for many of the products that we purchase of up to 20%. And so we are, um, you know, continually raising funds to be able to purchase new items to get out to families, but at the same time, those families, we have more and more families coming to us because they can't afford um, this uptick and this increase in um, costs for a very, you know, variety of of reasons. Um, It's become much more difficult for them. All right, cool. Good to know. Um, So Erin, let's talk then about Wonder Fund. For people who might not know what Wonder Fund's all about, uh, give us an overview about how you work with kids in DCF and what you do for them. The Wonder Fund is a private, independent, nonprofit organization that serves kids involved with the Department of Children and Families in Massachusetts. And currently, there are 53,000 children who are involved with DCF, and we serve them in two primary ways. One is through emergency essentials. So for children who have to be removed from their home and placed into foster care, often they're coming with nothing but the clothes in their backs. And the Wonder Fund provides them with um, a duffel bag filled with new clothes, pajamas, Uh, socks and underwear, toiletries, and other things that just help get them through those first 48 hours in foster care, which are often pretty traumatic as a transition goes. Um, And the second way we serve these kids is through enrichment opportunities. Oftentimes, kids who are involved with DCF don't have the same opportunity or resources to participate in extracurricular activities or to take SAT prep or play baseball, um, to take dance classes or go to summer camp. And so we are very focused on raising funds for these kids to make sure that they have childhood opportunities that every kid deserves. All right. Fantastic. Let's then talk about how 
people can help both of you out. We'll revamp the PJ Drive here in a couple of minutes. But Aubrey, if people want to volunteer over in Newtonville at the uh, Cradles to Crowns uh, building there, or if they just want to donate, how can they get in touch with you to do that? We would love people to come in to volunteer here in Newtonville. Uh, our giving factory is open to volunteers uh, Monday through Saturday, and they can go online to cradlestocrans.org to sign up. We also have opened up product collection throughout the state of Massachusetts. So again, visit the website to find out where you can donate gently used or new items. All right, fantastic. And then Erin, uh, how can people help out Wonder Fund and donate to you? We would love for folks to visit us at www.wonderfundma.org and look for ways to donate to kids who want to go to summer camp this year because we're largely focused on summer camp right now because um, this is the time to sign up. Um, and you can also learn about some fun volunteer opportunities around the state of Massachusetts. Aubrey and Erin, it's been great having you both on the show. Thank you for the time and uh, good luck with the drive. Thank you so much, Nicole. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Aubrey. Have a safe and healthy weekend. Please join me again next week for another edition of the show. I'm Nicole Davis from WBZ News Radio on iHeartRadio. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.